And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 150. This is our tri bicentennial. Try fly centennial? I'm not sure, but 150 episodes in three years is no small feat. We're happy you could join us for this episode, especially if you're one of those uh, rare folks who's been with us from the beginning. We have an extra fly show lined up for y'all today. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to introduce myself. My name is Damone Carter, aka Dem One the host of this amazing podcast, and I am joined, as usual, in Zoom by my bros, Mr. Nathaniel LeBlanc. How's it going, Nate? Latir exchanged my life. Okay. <laughs> T-shirts forthcoming. We, we, we dig I'm it. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It's, uh, it, it, this is a special episode for me in particular. Um, it just brought me back to when I was first like getting really, really into the weird shit, you know, like the different shit, the left coast shit, like the, the progressive hip hop, as I used to call it. Um, so I'm, I'm confident in saying there would be no dad bod rap pod if my life had not changed in that way from listening to that kind of music at that time. Like I just got so much deeper into it than I ever thought I would. And it's in many ways defined my life. So it's great doing this with you guys. It's always good to see everybody and especially good to have Paulo here. But like, yeah, this is a special episode for more than a round number reason. Absolutely. Thanks, Nate. Um, the the Latirix Changed My Life t-shirts coming soon on Merch Engine. Uh, <laughs> Dave, Mr. Dave, how's it going, man? Yo, man. Um, it's going well. It's good to be here. Um, really excited about this, this uh, Latirix episode. Um, just their biggest fan. And, you know, I, I too am Asia born. So very, very, <laughs> very much stoked to get, you know, some other time. I mean, these guys, these guys are legends and certainly legends in, in our world growing up. So um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing this episode and really stoked to have DJ Cutso in the house. Yeah, Ooh. man. Uh, DJ Cutso, who, among other things, uh, my birthday twin, uh, Mr. Cuddling, Mr. P. Jiggles. <laughs> Uh, who has joined us on several occasions, but extra special because um, uh, Cutso is a is a frequent collaborator with uh, with Lyrics Born, and has toured uh, and is going to share some wholesome stories about that. But before we get into all that, Cutso, how you doing, man? I'm well, man. Happy holidays, you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, again. yeah. It's dude, always a pleasure to be on here you. with you guys. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Friend of the program. Always have. Always happy to have you on, man. Yeah, absolutely. Man. It was um, a pleasure so, to be on here. So we're uh, we're doing episode 150, um, as you can <laughs> already tell, because you clicked it. Uh, this is our Latirix episode. We have an interview coming up with uh, Latif, the true speaker, and Lyrics Born. That's very dope. Stay tuned for that. But before we get into that, yeah, let's let's uh, go down kind of that rabbit hole of what Latirix meant and kind of uh, the impact that it's, it's had on all of us. Nate, I appreciate you kind of sharing that story. And I'm glad you did get into Latirix because like, uh, I need this podcast in 2020. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what the book I'd be doing this year. But um, I, I wanted to kind of maybe kick it off and folks can, can chime in. Um, we'll start with Nate. 
when and where did you first find it? Like, how did it, how did it get to you? And what was your reaction upon kind of first encountering uh, Lyterics? The, the yeah, it's, it's actually interesting because I've made such like a big deal out of this. I don't remember exactly why I ended up buying their CD. I think it was just because of the cover art, which I have since, you know, I've been sitting with this record a lot. Um, doing the research for the interview and just kind of like trying to remember every like little details and stuff. And it's Brent Rollins from Ego Trip that did the cover mm. where it's like, they're kind of like the two headed monster with their logo that it, you, it's not even necessarily recognizable as letters. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I used to wear a Lateric shirt a lot when I was in high school. And I remember very specifically my girlfriend at the time's mother being like, what, what's, what's going on with that shirt? Like, it's this like weird wavy blue line. And I'm like, oh, it's Lateryx, you know. It's like, I've seen it, he used to wear that shirt like every other day. That is, that is factual. <laughs> um, so we, I just, I think I was just intrigued by it. And I knew who Shadow was, obviously. I th that was probably the first person from this camp that like made waves in our in our circle in high school of like kind of like hip-hop nerds and then just kind of branched out did the research from there got into black delicious got into latirix okay. and um very quickly became like a super fan and would just kind of go to any show any in-store any kind of release thing i i went up to lyrics born and gave him my phone number at one point to try to be his street team in san jose nice he never, he never called uh, which I don't, I don't like hold it against him. Like I was like a weird kid, put up and like slipping this dude my digits. Uh, super, probably not the coolest thing I've ever done in my life, but uh, yeah, uh, just like I just thought that what I was hearing um, at that time was what I really needed to hear. And the, the mm. other thing that made an impression on me like that was the early uh, work of Saul Williams. Like you know that Saul Williams song on the Lyricist Lounge compilation mm -hmm. and his first 12 inches where it's just like okay what's going on like i love hip-hop but like where are we like what like what are these sounds <laughs> like what is this kind of like style of vocalization like is this singing is it rapping like what just like i'm like unmoored here i don't understand what i'm listening to and that makes me want to like understand it right and so mm -hmm. that's what i kind of remember especially the way that the latirix album kicks off with the crazy like rolling thunder beat and then the two of them rapping at the same time i just remember being like i don't i don't know what this is but i want way more of it So it just leads me down this kind of like psychedelic, like mm. intensely word infested path that I've been on ever since. Mm. Word infested, I like it, I like <laughs> it. Uh, David Ma, when, when and where did uh, Latirix hit you? I think um, sort of to, to Nate's uh, story, I, I think I first noticed their logo first. 
You know what I mean? Like on random dudes' t-shirts. Maybe it was Nate. Maybe I saw Nate's t-shirt when we were 19. But, um, you know, that weird morphed um, logo. And, you know, that piqued my interest. And um, when I grabbed the album, I, I was blown away. I mean, I already heard of Shadow, of course. But, um, you know, the song Latyrix that starts off the album Latyrix. I mean, it, you know, with them rapping on, on two different speakers, um, it was challenging. You know what I mean? It was yeah. like, what, what is this? I don't necessarily know if I want to bump it all the time. But but I, I want to explore it. You know, I want to get to the end of it. And I still get that feeling when I hear the song now. And, you know, when I hear Lady Don't Techno. All the clerks want to offer you help. All the folks compliment you still. A little children want to jump in your lap. Girl, I want to do that myself. She ain't um, I remember like sometimes playing records out and playing Lady Don't Techno and it just being such an agreeable song for everybody mm. who, who's, who's in attendance. And I don't know if that's the type of song that I would love to play nowadays or if it, if it, caught my, if it would catch my attention nowadays, but I think it's an amazing song. And, and that just speaks to, the, speaks to their sort of forward thinking ethos. Like they can kind of mm. do anything, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, it meant a lot to me at the time to have a, a Bay Area rapper named Asia Bourne you know what I mean? And who, who besides the name, you know, besides putting the name forth, he never really made a big deal of it otherwise, you know what I mean? So sure. he was just speaking with his, um, uh, with his gut and just his skills and his crazy delivery. And yeah, man, it's just that album in particular, it just sounds like every song they made a conscious decision to, to be different, you know what I mean? And your attention was required. And um, to this day, I still love it. And to be able to get these guys at, at the table with us has just been an yeah. honor, man. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 30 years later, it's still the shit. 20 yeah, years later, it's, yeah. It's, it's wild. Yeah, I think uh, we're on 20, 20, 23, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, let's not totally, totally date them. Cut so. How, yeah. how and when did you uh, come across the Tyrics and how did it strike you? Uh, well, first of all, um, I was just getting into DJ Shadow time because my brother, Dino, was uh, <clears throat> very much into introducing. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was still trying to kind of wrap my head around what I was listening to at that time because before that, it was all, you know, like, you know, just kind of your run-of-the-mill hip-hop. Mm -hmm. And um, once I heard... Um, uh, DJ Shadow, it was, you know, I, I was still trying to understand it. I, I knew I liked it, but I was trying to understand it as being a product of hip hop. And um, because of DJ Shadow, you know, we got a hold of Latyrix um, because of, you know, it was the same label, Soul Sides. Mm -hmm. And um, he was listening to it. He, 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 we were driving to LA. I remember the night I first heard it we were driving down to LA and my parents were asleep in the back. Me and my brother were in the front seat. Just, you know, he was driving and I was riding the shotgun <clears throat> and he was playing the album and he was like, yo, check this out. This shit is crazy. So, you know, I just remember the beat, you know, super slumpy. It was just like, Oh, this is tight. Right. This is super deep. Right. And both the vocals coming. I'm like, yo, what the fuck is going on here? dude?" <laughs> <laughs> and, I started messing with the panning switch because we, we used to drive a, mm. uh, we used to ride a, a Dodge Caravan <laughs> with quadraphonic sound. So it had like a little like joystick <laughs> where you could fuck with the panning. So I started going back and forth with the little pan switch 
And I was like, oh, whoa, this is crazy. Like, I've never heard anyone do this before. So we, we went back and listened to it, you know, with the left side. And then we listened to it with the right side. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly the song started skipping. And I was like, yo, what the fuck is up with your CD? <laughs> and he's like, no, that's the song. Like wow. he, that's part of the song, and that was you know that you know ultimately was Shadow's trademark stutter, right. the uh, the whole you know NPC mm-hmm. note repeat just flurry that he would do, and that's that particular part is what really grabbed me. I was like, holy shit, this is where rap is going right now. This is mm. fucking bugged, yeah. and so you know from there you know we listened to the rest of the album balcony beach and i remember i remember um when i was kind of still cutting my teeth you know learning how to dj and everything uh one of my partners in my old crew shout out to jay uh he had a 12 inch of the reckoning mm-hmm. and i was listening to it i was like oh okay this is cool like you know it, it just sounded like some like crazy underground shit that i kind of wasn't like you know i was still kind of just dipping my toes in that that side of hip-hop at the time and so i didn't really think much of it but then i heard uh that track on the latirix album and i was like oh yeah okay so that's that's that guy that's latif and mm-hmm. you know hearing balcony beach that was like holy shit what is this drunk cowboy style he's coming with <laughs> she was so crazy just the way the sea's been seasoning came out at eight complaining on the railing kept hearing the waves crashing beneath me back and forth just and i just remember you know like hearing say that and mm-hmm. you know just totally just like what is this r2d2 shit going on man this is crazy <laughs> like, i just remember bugging out so hard on this album i was like wow I love this just because of how weird it is. And then the more I absorbed it, the more I understood it, and the more I started to see the direction of where underground hip hop was going at the times. So it was really like a gateway for me. Damone, you're yeah. a little older than us, and you were have expressed, <laughs> uh, what do you call it, uh, a little burnout with hip hop at this time yeah. in your life. Is this sure. part of that? Was this not part of that? Give us your, your frame of yeah. mind, seven. So that's a great question. I feel like uh, Latirix and Dr. Octagon um, came out in roughly a similar time period. It's in this weird era when, I don't know if you remember this, Nate, but there was a record store on McLaughlin. 
Um, very, very briefly, DJ Evilhead used to be, I think was one of the owners. Uh, shout out to DJ Remedy was there a lot. Um, yeah, it was actually Remedy and his brother who were the owners. It was Remedy and his brother. Okay, that's yeah. right. And so uh, that was right down the street from uh, DJ Worldwise's uh, parents' crib where we were at all the time. He was kind of DJing and we were playing around with, with music and stuff. And so um, I knew about Asia Born, Lyrics Born from the Soul Sides 12 inch um, that had Lyric Fathom and uh, send them on the other side with, with he was Asia Born then. And he said some just wild shit. I remember being just completely bugged out by his voice and his flow, which just his, was like nothing I had ever heard before. So I kind of knew, I don't know how we knew, but we kind of knew there was something coming out. And so when it came out, I was like, yeah, this is Lyrics Born. Um, I, I wasn't that familiar with Latif yet. Uh, and it really lit up my whole brain because for all the reasons that everyone's mentioned, it was something different. And like, I was into different shit already, like as a, like a disciple of the, the kind of Project Bloat era and like every kind of grimy underground tape that was coming out of Oakland at that time and all the different things. Uh, but this one really uh, blew my mind because of the production value and the lyrics. So, you know, everybody's kind of commented on on Shadow's influence, which is not only just kind of like the technical side of it and doing these things that were just wild, innovative, but also um, it was banging. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of stuff then, there was this uh, kind of romanticizing of a dirty, nasty, underground aesthetic. Tapes were still really big. People were making a big deal out of their stuff sounding like shit. Um, but this record, uh, banged with all the other records. When you were putting on a Mob Deep record or you were putting on Bootcamp Click something, this had the same amount of knock and oomph to it. Um, and then it was also very East Bay. You know, uh, a song like uh, Say That has just this kind of like muscle car kind of slump type of stuff, but they were high level lyricists. And so I, I like, like you, Cutso, I was like, oh, this is where it's going. This is, this is a wild... Um, New direction and it was ground that I would even say that like Hyro hadn't necessarily hit mm -hmm. on. They were always dense lyrically but the kind of sonic palette they were using um, I mean let's be frank it's not really like a clubbable type of thing and like the Tyrics on the the first record and then obviously with uh, Lady Don't Take No kind of moved underground rap and lyricism into these different spaces um, Latif has an incredible breath control, is just wild, loud. It was great to hear him in the interview and be like, oh, you're just loud like that. Like, <laughs> you project. Like, as a rapper, I would remember being like, fuck, man, he projects. Like, I could see him swallowing MCs in a, in a freestyle setting. And then, of course, Lyrics Born's just voice is so iconic and unique. So um, all that to say, the shit blew me away, and I knew that it was, um, this was something that was ahead of its class. Now... I'm in some ways surprised, and I mentioned this a little bit in the, um, in the interview, that um, it wasn't really picked up on. I really felt like, oh, okay, everybody gonna be trying to rap over each other now. You know what I mean? It's kind of mm -hmm. like the Beatles do Sgt. Pepper's, speaking of panning. Um, right. 
and then and then you know the Rolling Stones try to come out with a weird album like that. Nobody, maybe it's because it was just too high level. Nobody even attempted it. Um, mm -hmm. So it's interesting, kind of almost a historical artifact as well. It's like something that you know was so dope and just has not been tried again. Um, so yeah, so I was I was amazed. I was blown away, and it kind of set the the trajectory for this really West Coast movement. And Nate, I know you mentioned kind of being present at a lot of those shows and things like that. Where, where does Latirix and maybe more broadly quantum soul sides sit in the kind of story of how the West uh, underground took off? Like where, where, where do you put them? That's a great question. I, I, I do think it's its own thing, but it's certainly of, uh there's a there seems to be kind of a fellowship and there was a, a real scene with your kind of living legends mm -hmm. your high row when they went uh, independent and then you have your kind of zion eyes and mm. your uh, your boss ones and yeah. your your you know there's a whole there was a whole boss bay area one. underground scene back then various blends you know that would be like yeah. at the shows like that, that right. it was a whole thing um and I, but I always think that Soul Sides was a little different. A because DJ Shadow kind of became famous for something else so fast. Like DJ Shadow became the the face of uh, instrumental hip hop, and that that took him to the UK and it took him onto like you know Accelerator magazine kind of like vibes where it's like, is it electronic? Is it hip hop? Right. We're having all these weird conversations back then about um, terminology. But a Latirix record, especially like, let's say, like the Latif solo songs, like we'll just keep talking about the reckoning. That nobody's asking if that's <laughs> anything besides hip hop, right? So um, right. He, he, he notes in the interview that he went to high school with the, the Hyro Cats, which I had no idea until now, but mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense because they're just such vicious rhymers. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, we really have to give a lot of credit to past DBRP guest and one of the greatest rappers who ever lived, Gift of Gab, too. Like, mm -hmm. Gab's, Gab's a mind-blowing rapper, and especially back then. Um, mm -hmm. The Melodica-era Gab is just untouchable. So the, it existed within a kind of West Coast, like, backpack scene, but also was a little different. Because of the Davis thing, they're not from the Bay Area, right, as we right, draw the right. boundary quite, but they would come down all the time. And a lot of them were from around here. And then they just, they, they didn't do as many shows as like a Legends was. Legends, you could get like six different acts and they could all be on stage at the same time. A Quantum mm -hmm. show wasn't like that. Like they had their distinct acts and then they would freestyle a little bit. And so it was just different. But they were, to me, it was the one I identified with the most. Like I was never like a kid who hung out on Telegraph all day, like slanging tapes. I was like, a, I was a kid who had got good grades and was going to college. You know what I mean? It was like, that's, that's my kind of, the, the, that's, that's what I latched onto about it. The weirdness of it, the intellectual kind of side of it, and just like the fact that they seem to be astute. And we, we, we learn more about this now where like uh, Jasbo or Joseph Patel goes on to produce documentaries and TV shows. Jeff Chang, uh, The Eighth Wonder, writes the greatest hip hop book of all time. Um, and then these guys all have careers, you know, 20 something years later. DJ Shadow is like a basically a superstar whose music is in every single commercial. And these guys are kind of middle-class rappers who still tour, still put out great projects, are active in the scene and are grown men with responsibilities. So just the, the way that I didn't know any of this at the time, but now seeing it in retrospect, I'm like, ah, that's, that's what was going on. You know what I mean? Mm. 
Mm, yeah, please, please uh, stay tuned for the interview. They really kind of shed light on on what it was like that time and that kind of emergent West Coast movement. Maybe let let's look a little bit at, uh, move a little bit forward. Uh, Cutso, I know you have been a tour DJ collaborator with Lyrics Born for some time. Can you talk to us a little bit about just kind of how that relationship came about and like the work that you guys went on to do? Yeah, um, <clears throat> well, um, around, you know, maybe like the early 2000s, I started running into uh, LB, Lyrics Born, um, just kind of out in the wild, like at shows, at DJ gigs, uh, things like that, because, you know, we had a lot of mutual friends. And, um, you know, we every, t every now and then we would chop it up, you know, I would tell him how much I love his music, and, you know, he would, you know, tell me I played a good set or whatever that night. And so I was geeked, and, you know... Um, he was uh, doing work with um, a, a homie of ours, Mike Realm, at the time, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, during the Quantum Era. And um, I guess LB had posted a video of the Jabberwockies on Twitter. And he was like, who does these guys' music? Like, these guys are crazy. And Mike Realm responds, he's like, yo, that's Cutso and his crew, the bangers. Like, they do their music. He's like, whoa, I need to, I need to get in contact with these guys. So... Um, he reached out to me on Twitter um, and, you know, we started sending him beats and ultimately we uh, landed a track on the first, or I'm sorry, on the, the second Latirix album, uh, a track called Gorgeous Spirits. And um, it was produced by um, my partner Replay of the Banger, shout out to Replay. And um, I co-produced it, um, which is funny. I actually um, ended up co -pro like producing my end of the song in a food court in West Covina. Cause I was, I was helping, you know, my ex-girlfriend at the time uh, run her uh, restaurant in the food court at West Covina mall. And, you know, I had to meet a deadline. So I was, you know, I worked on this track in the food court with my headphones on. And, you know, it, it, that led to, you know, a strong relationship with, with LB. And um, he was working on, I believe it was, um, uh, what album was it? It was Real People. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was working on his Real People album. And um, he was doing, you know, I mean, this guy, you know, just he lives on the road. Uh, I mean, up until this year, of course, but uh, he just, you know, lived on the road. And, you know, he was, he went through a few DJs who were all mutual friends of mine. And he reached out to me. He's like, hey, um, I got this date that I need to fulfill. And my DJ uh, bailed out on me. Would you be able to fill in? I'm like, yeah, sure, absolutely. And so after a couple rehearsals, we did a few shows together. He's like, yo, I love the chemistry we have going here on stage, man. Like, it's really dope. We should really like build on this and like make it a full show. So um, over the maybe four or five years that I toured with him, we built a whole show together mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. i would throw in little bits in between his songs and you know we would do these little sort of like jam master j run dmc type routines where you know he would rap to the cutting and you know it was very involved and you know that of course you know led to you know many long nights after the show in hotels listening to beats and i was showing him some of the stuff i was working on and he's like yo we need to work on some stuff together so we over the span of three, four years, we started working on this project called Rap Night. Mm. And it was mainly just like, he was just rapping over some of the remixes I had already put out on SoundCloud. But 
ultimately it became this project of um, just kind of paying homage to some of our favorite, you know, like some of our favorite rappers from the 80s and 90s, like the golden era stuff. So a lot of the tracks were, you know, very golden era driven. And um, I put this one restriction on him. I was like, if we're going to work on this project, we're not going to have any singing. I want you to wrap your ass off. I want, <laughs> I want to bring it back to the essence. I want your fans to, you know, like hear who, you know, who you were and who you're becoming. Mm. You know, no singing, none of that. Like, we know you can do that. You know, you've done like three, four albums worth of it. And we know you can do it. We know you're good at it. Let's get you rapping your ass off again, though. So that's what Rap Night became. And from there, just, you know, like through, through those years, we became really good friends. Um, you know, we, we talk to each other on a regular basis still to this day. Um, you know, I've seen his son grow, like mm. Teo's getting so big. Uh, shout out to Joyo too. She's become a really good friend of mine. I'm actually working on a track with her right now as we speak. Oh, and okay. um, uh, on the low. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, just, you know, since, since I started working with them, like I've become really good friends with, with LB and his family. And, you know, not to mention uh, Latif and, you know, uh, XL and everybody. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been awesome because, you know, you, like I said earlier, you know, I, I started off as a really huge fan of theirs mm -hmm. and, you know, ultimately their music helped shape my production style and it came full circle to where I am actually crafting an album for Lyrics Born. That's so, that's so dope. yeah, man, that's, that's a story. That, that's, that's dope. When you listen to the interview and you hear Lyrics Born, shout out um san jose i i think that's a very that's very apollo influence you'll 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 dig the the interview paulo when you get a chance to, uh, oh cool yeah i can't wait to hear keep it. it um Dave, he's a funny guy you've talked you've talked to lyrics born before no uh no I, i've never interviewed lyrics born I, I did a story on latif maybe about uh nine years ago or something when his solo came out i think it's called firewater yeah. um it was an interview for herb magazine and that's when i sort that was the first sort of time I've interviewed either of the T-Rex and, you know, obviously after being big fans of theirs for like a decade and then finally talking to Latif and it was great, man. And sort of like the interview that we had earlier, it's like, he's this intense guy who eats MCs for lunch, you know what I mean? But then when you're talking to him, he's just like laughs and jokes. So it's like, yeah. it's great to have that personable perspective when you're talking to somebody off record. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, man, it was great. Um, yeah, so it was really good to get uh, his his time and um, our recent interview with uh, Lyrics Born was the first time I spoke to either of them. Yeah, okay. or Lyrics Born. Okay, okay. And, and uh, you guys will get to hear that in just a bit. As I mentioned at the top, this is our 150th episode, Dad Bod Rap Pod. Um, over three years, we've been trending out 50 episodes um, a year for the past three years. Um, Nate is under investigation by the California Labor Board uh, for <laughs> exploitative practices, but we we are chugging along, uh, not to get super nostalgic, but we had, Paulo, you've been on a bunch of times. Um, besides your appearances, which are all my favorite, uh, do you have a favorite kind of DBRP episode moment that you want to share? <laughs> I was listening to the uh, Juice soundtrack episode. Mm. 
And I, you know, like every, every time I listen to your podcast, I'm a, you know, I, I always, you know, walk away with something. And when you do your retrospective episodes, like those, those happen to be my favorite, but mm. um, when you guys were talking, I forget who the guests were for the juice episode. They're um, from this uh, podcast movement. called the next movement. Their names are next Bob, movement. Bob and E. Right, 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 right. So I just remember listening to that episode front to back. And mind you, and this is like Juice is one of my favorite soundtracks. And I had to sit back and listen to all this slander about the soundtrack and all this misinformation. There, there, there was a few, there was a few <laughs> spots where I was yelling at my fucking car stereo, like, no, it wasn't that, it was this. No, fucking Paulo, I, I wasn't. I wasn't no. a part of that episode, by the way. Just to let oh. you know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 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 yeah. Your Dave's off the chopping block <laughs> for this one. But I just remember. Oh man, I, I and I remember sending a really heated text message mm -hmm. to all you guys, and I was like, mm -hmm. "Yo, <laughs> the juice episode." First of all, I don't know why you guys didn't call me to be on there. <laughs> I understand that you're. I understand that you're, you know, building bridges with other podcasts. And yeah, that's great and all, but first of all, you got to talk to somebody who knows about the shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, oh, we'll get you God. on the next one. We'll get you on the next one. I was like, no, that's the thing. I don't know about any other soundtracks besides the <laughs> <laughs> There's no next so, one. Yeah. I've said this before, yeah. and I probably replied this to your, to your text, which I totally understood. And th those were not our our two best episodes anyway uh, but okay. we uh I, I just someone said this and i i often repeat it it's like the closest you'll ever know what it is to being a ghost is hearing someone on a podcast get a fact wrong that you know and you're just screaming <laughs> at the thing and like you can't you can't intercede you can't, you can't stop them from getting it wrong it's like that's yes. what it would be like being a ghost you just go through yes. life watching humans fuck up constantly and there's nothing you could do about it except for like shake the curtains or whatever <laughs> it was like that scene in scrooged where uh barry is watching his brother play uh, trivial pursuit or something and yeah. they're trying to like they couldn't guess the ss minnow he's sitting there like it's the ss minnow you idiot <laughs> what the hell oh. it's like son of bazerk you morons <laughs> yeah oh man exactly yo yeah no what could be better bitch like i, I heard that i forgot who was slandering that song uh, i think it was me actually <laughs> Nate. That was my shit, yo. Okay, <laughs> I didn't hear a single peep about "Shoot 'Em Up," which mm. was like one of the fucking best tracks on that whole album. Anyway, mm. long story short, I was screaming. <laughs> Paulo's favorite moment is when like a ghost. Uh, <laughs> his favorite record when we slandered <laughs> when we slandered the Juice soundtrack. Uh, oh. Highlights, highlights, and lowlights. <laughs> on the dad bod rap pod um but that's, as soon as that's i got part that of enjoying text, it I was, I was like yo we kind of should have had paulo huh uh, <laughs> I, I was just busting balls but i would have loved to be on that episode absolutely when we uh when we do our new jersey drive uh soundtrack episode <laughs> oh. yo yo call me because i was just talking about that i was just talking about that soundtrack with my buddy the other day literally the other day yeah so, yeah Comes down okay. to the big questions: Benz or Beamer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you? Oh, what man. do you want? Uh, uh, 
Yeah, we 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 appreciate you coming on, Pete. Do you got any you got any projects coming out you wanna you wanna share with the the Dadbot audience? Um, you know, uh, I got Cuddy Mart, you know, coming out with quality yes. clothing. Uh, yes. Uh, that consists of jokes that only I think are funny, <laughs> and anybody else who decides to pick up the shirts, you know, it's I'm speaking to a certain audience, and I'm glad yeah. people are digging it, man. You know, really yeah. getting the joke. But um, I got Cuddy Mart. Um, I got my Bandcamp. I'm always posting remixes on there, cutso.bandcamp.com. Um, I'm working on another album with Lyrics Born, uh, the follow-up to Rap Night. So, um, rap Day? Rap Day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Actually, the, the story behind how we came up with the title Rap Night is really funny. Um, real quick, we were in Boise, yeah. Idaho, playing a show, and um, – we were in the elevator checking into our hotel and this girl comes in, you know, cute little white girl, comes into the elevator and she's like, hey, are you guys going to rap night tonight at the Knitting Factory? <laughs> and it was a festival that we were the only rap act in the entire festival. And we were playing at the Knitting Factory that night with Black Milk. And she was like, hey, um, they're doing rap night at uh, Knitting Factory tonight. Are you guys gonna go? And we looked at each other and we're like, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> as soon as she left the elevator we were fucking dying so, it's like 80s night or like disco night they were having rap totally night. totally totally dude. so yes. funny you guys want to hear some disco reggae <laughs> <laughs> hey you guys want to go do some <laughs> oh that's so dope that's but yeah so, dope. so yeah i got the new rap night album coming out and you know all my all my uh my internet musings and whatnots and hootie hoos yeah, you're 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 doing things on Twitch, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I have a Twitch channel. Yeah. Twitch.tv slash cutty cut. So I do live sets on there. So, and I okay. get drunk. Yeah, yeah. That's we we heard a little bit about that. Um we're gonna do some offline counseling around that. Uh yes. one one day you'll come back and you'll teach all of us how to get on Twitch. I think Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy, I man. We, it's easy. We need it's great. A, a bit of a tutorial. Hey, Cuddy, uh, glad you could join us. Glad you're healthy, man. Have a, a wonderful fucking new year. And, and we'll have you on again, season four. Yeah. Cuddy's Thanks. New Jersey Drive, uh, long form <laughs> audio essay. Double album, two episode retrospective. <laughs> it's a wave file. It's gonna be a wave file. <laughs> exactly. Make sure you save a few gigs if you're going to save the episode. Oh, man. Uh, thanks yeah. for having me, guys. Appreciate Thank you, you, brother. Once again, thankful that uh, Cutso could join us. Always dope to have him on the program. And now, without further ado, we're going to get into our interview with Latirix right here, Dad Bod Rap Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 150. This is our third year of podcasting. We're so glad that you are still rocking with us. Every year on the uh, 50th episode we do over year, we try to do something special. And this is probably the most special one that we've done to date. 
joining us in Zoom, we have one of the most dynamic rap duos, super influential in my artistry and listening. And I know I can say the same for uh, Nate and Dave. We have Latirix, Lyrics Born, Latif, the true speaker. So glad to have you guys on the program. We're going to jump right into it. Uh, LB, whose idea was it to rap at the same time on Latirix? Part one of the question. Part two, um, did you expect people to bite it? Because I don't know if I've heard anybody bite it, and I, I was sure that was going to happen. Wow. First of all, my motherfucking idea. <laughs> no, I, you know, I don't remember whose idea it was, to be, to be completely honest. I do not remember whose idea it was. But I, I know that um, we knew we wanted to do something really fucking different, you know. And, and I think that that's... I think that continues to this day. Like, like when we get together, you know, I think that that really continues to this day. And did I think people would bite it? Well, we knew it hadn't been done before. So we, we knew that we weren't biting anybody, you know. Um, we knew that. And that was, I think that was probably the most important part is that, one of the most important parts is that, you know, we knew that whatever we were going to do on these songs, they had to be uncharted territory, you know, and I think that's how we felt about it. I don't know that, that we actually had that conversation. Oh, motherfuckers going to bite this shit. I don't think, I no. don't think we ever, I don't remember having that conversation. You know, I think that most of the conversations were like, what could we do that nobody has done before? You know, th that was the real conversation, I think, in all those songs. Mm -hmm. um, Latif, I just wanted to quickly um, get your perspective on things too. I mean, uh, we were just talking about the ingenuity behind your guys' music. Um, what's the songwriting process like when you and LB sit down in a room? Um, I, I, before I get to that, I will say that as far as biting is concerned, there was a um, a poetry movement in Sweden, I believe it was Sweden that was short lit. That was a couple of years, last for a couple of years around that time, where because of that song, people did kind of slam poetry, but they did it at the same time. And, wow! And it was it was something that like cracked off over there for a second, and that and that was it. Um, Wait, I, you know, I will say. I was not knowing about Swedish slam poetry. <laughs> so that's what we inspired. <laughs> so, continue. So yeah, so 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 writing process. So you know, um, I, I feel like I feel very um, lucky to have had such a good writing partner at such an early age. Um, mm. You know, to this day, I strive to hit that level of chemistry with anyone that I collaborate with. And I collaborate with a lot of people. And, you know, and honestly, it, it, our chemistry made me understand that it would not be able to be duplicated. Because even when we came together to do the second, anytime we get together, it's just a certain chemistry. And you, you're not going to really get that somewhere else. But it taught me a lot of things about writing and writing together and being unselfish 
yeah. in songwriting at an early age. Um, you know, there are a lot of songs that we wrote together, man, and I can honestly not tell you who wrote what because we would break it apart and then start going over it and making it our own. And then the next time you linked up, somebody might be like, I, I actually reworked that and said it different now. I think this works better. And mm -hmm. then it's like, who wrote it then? It, and it don't meet, really matter anymore, you know? Like it's, it becomes its own, the songs become their own living entity with their own energy that's both of our energy at the same time and yet both of them kind of pushing and pulling each other at the same time. Um, mm. um, and I think that that's kind of, kind of our approach creatively in general, even just as artists with each other, I feel like that. Even now when I feel like me and, me and LBs, our, our personal rapport is as good or better. It's, we're older, so it's more evolved than ever before. And as artists, we talk and we push and pull each other and give each other our insights on each other in a, in a way that's, that's singular as well. So, yeah. That's interesting. I want to kind of build on that. I was re-listening to um, the album today and I've listened to it many, many times, but I kind of had these two takeaways and I just like to posit like one thing to each of the two of you and see if you agree with me or if it's, if it's along the same lines. And I think the first thing is LB, you seem pretty young when you wrote this, but there's kind of a, a wisdom um, to the tracks, right? Like um, uh, Balcony Beach in particular, and like just the kind of, um, there seem to be some kind of, I don't know what you call them, like little pearls of wisdom uh, that are tucked into each of the songs that would appear as if they were like hard won in like therapy. Or were you just like <laughs> a young man, like dealing with your own shit through your music? Like, can you help me understand how, where this kind of like world wisdom comes in in those, those particular early songs? You know, I, I just, I, I don't know. I think I just spend a lot of time, probably too much time in my head. You know what I mean? And I've, I've just always been that way. You know, I was an only child, so I had a lot of time. All the time that I had was to myself. Sure. You know, I grew up in a really weird sort of family dynamic, you know, so there was a lot to process all the time. And I didn't even realize that until recently. It's funny, you know, you, you know, when you, when you, when you talk about therapy, like music, now that I see, now that I'm in therapy, you know, one of the biggest thing, and I had, I didn't get into therapy till I got, you know, a few years ago, you know, but one of the things that they always talk about is how important journaling is, you know, and how, how therapeutic and how helpful it can be. And now I see that's all I was doing, you know, this whole time. This whole time, all I've been doing is journaling, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I think it's, I think I've, I've just always tried to be as honest and as forthcoming with those thoughts as I could be, you know? And I, I don't always succeed, but I try to not think about how they're going to land. You know what I mean? It's just like, get it out. You know, yeah. not that I don't edit, you know, but um, maybe that's where that comes from. You know? Right yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. And Latif, um, your raps at that time seemed to be kind of about rapping and kind of addressed to a, 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 a second person, a you, 
right? Um, <laughs> like, and so were, were you like just battling? Like, was it a battle stance, if you will? I think that, um, yes. And, and in the sense of like um, tradition too, because I mean, obviously I come from, you know, we're, we're obviously kind of first brought up first generation hip hop guys, right? Um, but even me personally, you know, I was really tight with like the high, I grew up with all the high road cats, you know, Damani and um, Festo and Tajay and I all went to middle school together. Yeah. And I went to high school with all of them cats. And, you know, that's what we all rapped about. And not just us, you know, like I went to high school with the, with a bunch of the Living Legends cats, you know, Grouch went to my high school. And, mm-hmm. There was cats that used to rap that, you know, never rapped anymore. My homeboy Donnell Tucker used to tear it down, you know, and, and, at lunchtime, you know, and DJ D-Sharp was on the D, uh, was spinning on the wheels yeah. of shit. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that tradition that, you know, was kind of Dell, that came off of the tree that was Dell and Hyro and, and really, but really was, it was just regular dudes in Oakland and the Bay Area and Berkeley, you know, all of like, you know, Festo went to St. Mary's, which is where, you know, where LB was at. And all everybody knew everybody. Um, and that was what we rapped about. You know, we rapped about how we could rap better than you. And that was that was that was what High Road did. That was what Living Legends did. And we explored that and how it was exactly that that was the case, whether it was, you know, the forensics on a dead body that was you after the battle or whatever we wanted to talk about or how we wanted to put it. But that was a lot of the subject matter, you know, suck MCs, you know, that was a, a hot topic back in the day, you know, and then, you know, and then talking about kids, everybody, you know, kids this and kids, I don't know, they have a Z on it. Yeah, absolutely. Great answer. So, but yeah, so yeah, yeah, there it is. Uh, that's awesome. I want to take it since you're kind of going back to some of the lineage. I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about um, Soul Sides and how that whole movement came together. You mentioned um, being, you know, kind of of the time of, of Hyro um, and the collective movement there. Um, maybe we'll start with Latif. Kind of how, how did that, that energy come about and when did the idea for uh, Soul Sides first kind of come together? Okay, so I, I'm gonna say this. You're gonna want to ask LB this question because I was I was the last addition to Soul mm. Sides. Oh. Um, I arrived up there and I just wanted to rap. I had been down in Oakland rapping, and I was, you know, that mind state. All rappers is like, I don't care who it is. I can rip anybody. Where's the rappers at? Who's the best rapper here? I'm gonna <laughs> rap against them. You know what I mean? Right. And that's how I bumped into Gab and LB. <laughs> 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 you know, asking that question around, like, hey, who is it? Who is it? You know, and it was them. And so, so when I got there, the way I experienced it was there were these cats. And then I met, first person I met was Jazzbo. Well, the cheese it terrorist, Kyle Powell introduced me to um, Jazzbo. And then Jazzbo was like, oh, you got to meet, you know, everybody else. And, um, you know, so you should really, so the LB is going to be the one with the answer to the origination of soul size because he was there it was mdj zanta i'll let him tell it that'll be yeah so um freshman year 1990 right so like we're in the height of the golden era you know of hip-hop and um i was in the dorms 
you know, and I was listening late night. I would listen to DJ Zen's radio show on KDBS. And uh, uh, DJ Zen is obviously Jeff Chang, who went on to become the, the renowned, esteemed, respected author, you know. And uh, he had a weekly radio show on KDBS. He played all underground hip hop at the time. And um, he had this thing called Name That Sample, where he would play like a main source song and be like, what's the sample? And he would play like, or some other hip hop song. And if you could win, and if you could name the sample, you'd win like a, a main source poster. I think I have a main source poster here somewhere, you know, that I want to. Anyway, I kept winning. And he was like, why don't you come down? You know, I talked to him on the phone. He's finally, just fucking come down. Just come down, hang out, you know? Meanwhile, I was in a class. I had a, uh, I was in an African-American studies class with Chief XL. And uh, he and I had developed a friendship uh, in that class. And I was like, hey, man, you know, there's this dude. That's, he's a DJ on here. He plays some real shit, you know, on, on KDBS down here. He invited me down to the station. Why don't you come with me? You know, and because Chief XL and I had bonded over hip hop, you know. And so I didn't realize this at the time, but in, in that African-American studies class, there were these two white guys who used to always sit in the back, you know. And uh, it was so crazy because when, when X and I got down to the radio station, that night, whatever that night that was, I came down, I brought some records, you know, some, some like original vinyls, like original vinyl records um, that had samples on them. I came down, X came with me. It was those same two white guys used to sit in the back of our African-American <laughs> studies class, right? So, and then I was introduced to both of them by, by Zen, by Jeff Chang, and he goes, hey, X, Tom, this is DJ Shadow. This is Ninth Wonder. You know what I mean? So that's how the four of us met. We were all introduced by, by Jeff Chang. Mm. And, you know, at the time, um, I don't really, I, I think, I'm trying to remember where we were. So, so I was making demos with Mac B-Dog at the time. You know, my childhood friend from Berkeley. Rest in peace, Mac B-Dog. And X was making demos with, Gab, who I don't even think they were called Black Alicious at the time. I think they had a different name for their. I'm not sure, but I it, this was like 1990. Do you remember? They had like I, I a. Don't remember. I don't remember. They did have a couple other names, but I don't remember if they were Black Alicious yet. I feel like they might have been. They might have been. They might have still been Atomic Legion, but I'm Ooh. not. Sure. So okay. So anyway, and, and I think Shadow had. He might have like just done one of those Hollywood basic remixes. I think he might've just done one of those. So anyway, we all got introduced. Jeff was like, you know what? You guys are trying to get signed. You're trying to get signed. You're trying to get signed. How's that going for you? You know what I mean? <laughs> it really wasn't going anywhere, you know? So a couple of years later, after us sort of cultivating this relationship, Jeff was like, well, why don't we just pool our money and let's make our own records? You know what I mean? And that's how, that's basically how Soul Sides came about. You know, I think X threw in a certain amount of money from his student loan. 
you know, I think I might have thrown in like a couple hundred bucks here and there. You know, I think Jeff actually, I think, came with the bulk of the money. You know, he would get already graduated college. He had a real job and shit, you know. And uh, and that's how it happened. And it was called Soul Size because on one side it was DJ Shadow and the group robbers. And on the other side, it was Asia Born. You know, so we had our soul side, you know, mm. on, on the And that's how it came about. And then I think right around that time when we were just recording and we were we recorded it at dan the automator studio at the time dan was still living yeah. with, dan was still living with his parents you know what i mean like his mother his mother used to call him up for dinner you know what i mean i, I remember this shit mm -hmm. you know thankfully and i think right around that time i think is when latif was yep. admitted to uc davis you know what i mean and mm. I, was it was Kyle that brought you down, or J, or Jazzbo that brought you down, or it was yeah Kyle brought me down, and because I, I I was talking to Kyle, eating one of them burritos in the in the in the cafeteria, and then uh, Kyle yeah Kyle was like oh you got to come down to the radio station, and he introduced me to Jazzbo, yeah. and and Jazzbo heard me rap, and then he was like you got to meet you and Gab, and then me and Gab went and rapped all day on the way back and forth, and then you came down there and we met, and that was that was kind of that. We were all rapping. I should say, you know, Jazz Bo is Joseph Patel, who was also one of the original, he was one of the original partners in Soul Side. He went on to become a writer, a TV producer for Vice, for MTV, for et cetera, et cetera, for, for Vivo, et cetera. You know, I mean, it, it's pretty amazing. I mean, we can talk about this later, but it's one of the things that I'm most proud of, of Soul Sides and Quantum is what all the alumni have mm. gone on, have gone on to do. It's pretty remarkable, man. You know, yeah. So anyway. Speaking of, Speaking of alumni, um, does UC Davis like recognize y'all? Like, shouldn't there be like a plaque or something? Like, have you ever been, has your crew ever been recognized by the university proper? Everybody you mentioned we've had on the show, and I kind of feel like, you know, yeah. are they talking about that? Not that I'm aware of. You know, this was the thing, I, I feel like this was a thing for us early on was, you know, is, is UC Davis going to cough up some of this bread that we gave them to uh, have us come do a show yeah. at Freeborn Hall or whatever, you know? <laughs> and, and, and I think I, I performed once at, at, at one of the, um, at, at, at a AA, you know, AAU uh, thing that they had up there um, with Blackalicious one time. But, you know, at a certain point, it just kind of becomes like, man, UC Davis has a certain thing about them and they just, they're not, that's not what they're going to do, man. And that's fine. Mm. You know? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, my, I think my story is similar. Like, I think I played a gig there once, like later on at like Freeborn Hall, you know, like years later, it was very anticlimactic. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I just, as a matter of fact, I don't even know if I got my motherfucking diploma yet from now. <laughs> but I need I, I to send just, them. I would just say, oh, nice. That was great, actually. That was really good. I, so I hope somebody screenshot it. <laughs> but I, I, I will say that you you know it it that radio station KDVS 
had the most incredible record library out of any radio state. And, and once we started making records, we would go around the country visiting college radio stations. And by far, I don't know who had been curating that collection over the years, but by far they had the most amazing record collection out of any college radio station I had ever been to. And that became our That's right. institution of higher learning was that Ooh, record that's right. and that record collection. We were always there. We spent every waking moment in that radio station. Wow. For sure. For sure. We would go down there. Y'all don't understand. When he says every waking moment, I mean that if we weren't in class, you know, Gab wasn't even enrolled. <laughs> we, 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 Gab and... LB were down there in a listening booth with inch with stacks. I, I'm not even a, a stack from up to my knee of instrumentals. And we were going to freestyle over all of them before anybody went home. And that was what it was going to be. And we would, we, we were monks, you know, we were just monks about it at that time yeah. in our lives. Uh, we were just, we listened to everything. You know, it's interesting like I do some mentoring now to some younger artists and stuff and shout out to John Shakai because he stayed up in Davis and we didn't even know it, but there were ways that he was a mentor for us back then. You know, he's like on the record. We would have these sessions with him and his band up there that were just kind of freeform jazz and just go for it and freestyle. And, you know, without putting himself in the center, I think that, I'm sure he got something from it too. That's what mentoring does. I realize now as I'm older interacting with younger cats, uh, but there was a way that, you know, even that station provided us with mentors that we, that influenced us in ways that we probably weren't even aware of at the time, you know? So yeah, mm. KDVS was big. Dope, dope. Um, yeah, thank you for explaining that. I actually um, interviewed DJ Shadow a while back. It was a super in-depth interview and he mentioned how dope that record collection there was. So. Um, that's a good sort of bookend to that. Um, he also said that the first time he laid eyes on LB and um, Chief Excel, you guys, you guys were like, "Who's this Herb?" <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what that's what he told me. Um, but sort of on that, I wanted to expand a little bit. Um, both Latif and LB, like, uh, how was working with Excel and and Shadow while they were young producers? Hmm. Hmm. Um. I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll say that, um, you know, so, so Josh and I were roommates at one point for like a year or so when he met his wife, we were actually roommates. Um, and we, and that was also the same place that we wrote the lyrics. I remember distinctly LB coming over and us listening to the track and being like, Oh, you know, with that time we were like, we were super still are super into like uh dance hall and stuff. And, you know, we start, and that was one of the places that the idea came from. Um, but so, so my experience with both of those producers early on was this. I experienced Josh as being a little bit more like he kind of liked to be by himself in his lab, cooking something up until it was almost done to present it, you know? Um, and then he would usually have like really, really great shit. He had, and he had a fantastic, I mean, he's, his record ear and his record collection superb. Um, you know, X I experienced as being a little bit more like I would go over with X and, you know, I'm the guy who's, who smoked and crew and all of that stuff. And I, and I would go over, I'd burn, we would chill, we would vibe and we would work on something together until it got somewhere. He would be like, what you think of this? And he'd work on it while you were writing. 
he'd work on it. So it was a very different way of working, you know? Um, and then, you know, and the other person, you know, I, I really have to say, especially if we're going to be talking about lyrics, you know, I, I don't know that Lyrics Born gets enough respect for his contribution, you know, uh, as far as his uh, produ production. And, you know, I don't know that anybody really asks us this, but at that time, I would say that he was the chief kind of like um, captain of the ship as far as the sound was concerned. You know, the, the shift that we have from the first record even into the um, EP, into Muzappers. The, the Muzappers EP, that was, yeah, that was, that was, that was all, that was all LB. Like, he was like, I think, you know, there was stuff that was going on. You had, you know, Huffy blowing up and all of this stuff. And he was like, yeah, we don't have to do it like that. We could do it our own way and have something that was also fat because he loved a lot of 80s production and had all of these rare 80s. I'll go there. He'd play me these 80s records. And I'd be like, Jesus, what is this? This is not going to be like, this is so-and-so's experimental, you know, jazz record from such and such, you know, Kansas City or whatever. And um so, you know, so I would also say, and LB's style was different too. I experienced LB as being kind of in between the two, you know? LB would kind of play me stuff when I would go over, this is how I experienced him, right? I would go over there and he'd play me an idea. And, and, and I think that this is one of the things that was different about LB from the, even both of those cats. LB would sit there and he would listen to it and he would like, tinker with it and he'd really get into the vibe of it you know and there are songs that I would go over and I would listen to that he was working on and then I'd come over like a couple days later and you couldn't really pinpoint what had changed about the beat but it felt more like itself like the bass was deeper or something about the little hats was ringing different or something and so you know that was one of the things that i always liked about lb's uh production it was also very difficult to, to pin down exactly where it was coming from mm. and oftentimes i feel like lb would chop things unorthodox you know um everybody in the crew did that but i think lb in particular like it was you'd hear the original you'd be like oh i did not think that that would be what that was mm. so mm. um i went to a show at maritime that was the entire crew and uh, Cut Chemist came out of the crowd in like a suit and a wig and did something behind, I believe, uh, uh, not, not A to G, but the um, alphabet aerobics. I think that was the first time I ever saw it. He was driving the pitch up and Gab was doing it. And you guys were like freestyling and backing each other back and forth across the stage. I don't know if that was like a normal show for you guys. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life. I'll, guess I'll address this to LB. LB, can you talk about the crew live experience and if, do you remember anything about that night in particular or was that just kind of one of many like amazing like performances you know i, I don't remember that was i there was yes I, yeah I, you guys were both there yeah yeah I, I don't remember that but that used to happen yeah for sure <laughs> and i mean I, you know I, I think that we put a lot of stock into the live show we put a lot mm. of stock in the because I think, you know, the thing that you got to realize is we grew up in the era where Run DMC were gods. You know what I mean? Like the, the 80s, we were really young and Run DMC were gods. And so was LL. And there was a lot of emphasis put on the live performance. And KRS-One, you know, and a, 
a lot of emphasis put on the live show. So we came up with the understanding that we had to have a great live show, you know, and in order to do that, you had to have rehearsal, you had to have ideas, you had to be polished, you had to practice, you had, you know, it was involved. It was pretty involved, you know, and I think that I, those are things that I carry to this day, you know, but I, as far, I don't remember that particular instance, but I, yeah, I mean, we, shit like that used to happen all the time, you know, like somebody would be on deck or, you know, let's have somebody come out and, and rap and sit in or, you know, what, what I later learned was being what, what bands would call sitting in, you know, or, um, you know, cut would come in and do something. But I think that's also a testament to, to um, Cut Chemist as well. He's probably one of the most spontaneous DJs and performers that I know. You know, you got to be, it's a skill, man. You got to really be open to that. Mm. Yeah. Point. Yeah. And I, I, I think also you can talk about, when you talk about those things, you're talking about Cut Chemist. I mean, you got to think when Ozo Motley was starting, me and me and LB, <laughs> me and LB would go down there and sit in with Ozo Motley, you know, early on. We So, so that, that spontaneity and jumping up and supporting each other, we didn't really call it supporting each other back then, but it was going on. Like we were, we were linked up and we were making it happen. Yeah. And, and the thing is, nobody was making any money back then. You know, there was no indie hip hop as a genre did not exist. You know what I'm saying? We were just having fun. You know, we were just having fun. And, it was just a, it was a really interesting time. And, and when you have no, when you're not really making any money, the only currency that you really have mm. you can trade is innovation. You know what mm. I mean? And that's how, that's how we really looked at it. Like, what can we do to be more original? What can we do to, to get more attention in that regard? You know, what can we do that's really going to pique people's interests and challenge people, you know, challenge ourselves? It wasn't like, it, the, the industry just wasn't as evolved as, mm. as it would later become, you know. Oh man, that's a great, great, great wisdom there. Uh, kind of ripping on that, um, Mew Zappers, uh, the song Lady Don't Take No, um, was kind of like a, a little bit of a reinvention, and I know Latif, you, you spoke to that a little bit. Um, can you guys talk about kind of what that that kind of transition was like from like, nobody's making any money, there's not really an indie hip hop scene, and you guys really kind of helped build what that would eventually become. But what was that that transition like? Like, when did it start to be, you know, seem like it was going to have some staying power? Hmm. Um, boy, you know, I, I, we, we were, we were touring by this time, you know, by the time New Zappers came out, we had toured the world, you know, already. Um, and we had shared stages with everyone. So we knew we were good. Hmm. We knew we were capable enough to, that, that these were our peers and there was nothing to stop us from 
going, you know what I'm saying? To keep on going. Um, I, I think that right here is where, right here though, 98 to 99 is where you see the change from soul sides to quantum. And you see this kind of thing where until that time as a collective, we were very, very um, comfortable just working with each other, you know? There were enough of us to kind of intertwine with each other and do different things and push each other as artists, and that was fine. And from 98 to 99, you start to see a more of um, a more of an interaction with the outside world, I would say. The, the, the bubble was being breached more. Um, and that was one of the biggest differences. Soul size, I mean, you know, how far, how far ahead were exactly where we thinking, thinking that one person was going to be on one side of a record and the other one was going to be on the other. We were just going to put out singles for our whole lives, I guess, was the idea then. But, <laughs> but, you know, as time went on, it was, you know, maybe we do want to work with these other people. Maybe we do want to have J5. We're down there kicking with them all the time. You know, maybe we could do a song with them or, or other stuff. You know, these ideas of other you know, wherever they get stepping outside of the ego, these guys are good. We can, we can build with these guys. Um, I think that's what you started to see. And I think that um, in some ways, cause you know, like Lady No Techno was produced by, by DJ Shadow. That was his doing that, you know, seeing what was going on and contributing his own interpretation of that. That's not the same, that is something different. Um, and you know, that's one of the first songs that I really wrote without, I heard the music and I was sitting on it and over a week, I didn't even really write that song. I was driving down to record it and I had my girlfriend write it because I had memorized it all already in my head. So that song was actually, my verse was actually written by a woman. I didn't even really write it. I told, I dictated it to her and she did it. Um, I, never, I never knew that. Really. Yeah, honey wrote it, I, honey wrote that. I never yeah. knew it. Wow, okay. that's dope. Um, so, so, so at that time, um, the, the switch was just kind of, you know, and again, I, I credit LB. He was like, I want to do a different sound. And one of our references, I remember he was like, I want it to be based around these Gat drums, the Gat band drums. And we were playing these Gat, he was just playing me all of these Gat band records. He was like that. And that's, that was kind of our jumping off point for what we wanted that sound to be, Gat Band drums. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's, it's, fun. it's funny when you talk about Lady Don't Techno or even the song Latirics, you know, Shadow played me those beats with, with, with the intention of them just being Latif songs, you know? Mm. And he played me both of those and I, I basically fucking bogarted my way. Latirix <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Latirix <laughs> no, and Lady, Latirix and Lady. So I was like, no, I, I, I want to do something on these songs, you know. And in the case of of the song Latirix, I don't think that if we had done that song together, there would have ever been a Latirix album, you know, because mm. all the the reason I don't know if 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 it's perceived this way, but those, that album um, had probably half the songs on that album were just Latif and I separately, you know? Right. Yeah. I don't think it's a very long album. I think it's only like 40 minutes or something like that. You know what I mean? And like maybe four or five of the songs have joints with us together. Mm. You know? 
But mm-hmm. the other four or five were uh, separately. And the reason why is because I had about four or five songs or three songs or whatever it was. And then, you know, he had, a, uh, Latif had a few songs that he had recorded separately. And then I basically was like, I bogarted my way onto the song with T-Rex. And then we we're like, wow, this shit is, it works. This shit is dope. Let's do some more. You know, it was, it was pretty much as simple as right. that. You know? That's right. So by, by the time we had come to Muse Appers, it was like, okay, we got something here. You know, mm. let, let's do a few more separately, but then let's let's be a little more collaborative on this on this on this one. Mm-hmm. And it was funny. I remember we did that first tour. The uh, introducing, I think, had just came out, and Shadow was touring with J. Ru the Damager. J. Ru the Damager was the, was the headliner. Shadow brought us with him, and I don't know if it, I don't think it was like some strategic plan, but the Latirix album came out at that same time. So it was huge for us, the two of us, you know? Mm. And we had just finished Muzak. So we were actually doing on the introducing J. Rue the Damage Latirix, the album tour, we were also doing songs from Muzakers. You know, so and um, before the before Muzappers had come out, so and, uh, and that's that's really how how a lot of that shit came about was just like it got thrown together. Really, it got thrown together. You know. Yeah, I remember the first person who mentioned the idea of me and LB doing a record together was actually uh, Jeff Chang. He, I remember sitting down with him at what was our offices at the time. And he was like, dude, you got these songs. Tom has these, LB has these songs. And then you guys, that Latiric song, it works so well. You guys just, you should just do a record together. Let's get a couple more songs. You guys both on it. And then boom, we got a record. And I was like, at first I was like, I don't know, you know, cause you know, LB's stuff was good. And I was like, they're kind of work together, but they're kind of different. And then that was one of the ways that, um, uh, dun, 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 um, that uh, the song that X produced on there for me, uh, Bad News. That was one of the ways that that one came across was because because of Balcony Beach, I was like, I should probably do something that's in a similar vein, you know, like that's at least kind of talking about something in a in a mature, not a mature way, but I didn't think of it like that at the time. Just kind of breaking some, breaking something down, you know, talking yeah. about something else besides just wrapping your face off. Um, because that was the other thing too. And, you know, and this is one of the things early on that, again, I'm just blessed to have had such a good creative partner and a good create a bunch of creative partners, you know, creative collective. Um, you know, we were very critical of our own stuff, man. We would sit mm-hmm. around and we would pick apart our record, something fierce. I mean, we were talking about and calling each other up with ideas for interludes and this, that, and the third. And we were critical we wanted to make sure it was good i mean we're i'm still like that but it's good at an early age i got a dose of that from other people so i was I'm like oh fuck, i gotta just go run to the finish line you know but, yeah. <laughs> that's dope that's dope well you know um as we sort of bring it to a close um you know the album itself uh, the debut it's over it's over 20 years old it's 23 years old i believe um you know you guys being experienced artists now um how does the how does the debut sit with you guys like when was the last time you guys heard it what comes to mind about that time 
I got I gotta be honest, I really don't listen to it that much. Man. Yeah. I really don't listen to it that much. I it's just um I appreciate it for what it for what it is, you mm-hmm. know. And uh the, I, I listened to it a lot when we were doing the second album, you mm. know, because the, the philosophy behind the second album is let's pick up where we left off, you know. And so I really listened to it a lot at that time, you know, with respect to what we've done on that record. I mean, I'm crazy proud of it, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm so proud of the response and the acclaim that it's garnered over the years. And I, I, I'm really appreciative of the way that it's aged, you know, as far as fans are concerned. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I don't I don't really listen to it that much, and I don't know if that's any different than any of my uh, uh, older records. You know, I just I don't I just don't you know, and it doesn't. It's not because I don't love it and I don't appreciate that era and that time. It's just you know, it's hard to sometimes look at baby pictures of these mm-hmm. times. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you're like, oh, look at you with the high top fade in high school. That was funny. Remember that? Ha ha. And then you kind of, you know, you kind of move on. You know, I, but having said, I don't mean to shit on my own work. That's not what I'm saying. You know, that's not what, that's not what I mean. But, um, I, um, I, I don't listen to it that much, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say similarly, I mean, in general, I don't listen to my old stuff too much Mm. um i've listened to some of that i'm trying to think of what the last couple of tunes that i listened to off of that record were sometimes stuff will come up in mixes and stuff and i'll listen to it and you know it's uh, it was a long time ago right so on a personal level there are just ways in which that was like seven iterations of myself ago (laughs) you know yeah right maybe nine or ten (laughs) so long ago and I appreciate that dude, you know, I don't crap on him too much, but he didn't know as much as he thought he did, you know? (laughs) And sometimes when I listen to him, I'm reminded of that. And it helps me stay humble now, because I'm sure in a couple of years, I'll feel the same way about the shit I'm writing now. Um, So I I just say that to say that, uh, but I will say this, I do appreciate and love the way that the record can still be relevant, um, the way that because of the honesty that was present in what we were saying about ourselves and how we saw the world, uh, there's a way that, that it just it just never gets old, you know, and there's some writing like the stuff on, you know, Balcony Beach and the stuff on Bad News and, uh, you know, verses off of the quick name versus, you know, say that even the, 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 the little the little uh, group joint, you know, burning hot in Cali on a Saturday night. We we're all just talking about going to a show. Um, there are just ways that it was very, I just, I, I still can enjoy it for what it was. And I think that there's a way that anybody listening to it, even now for the first time, can still enjoy it for who those guys are. And even though it was a moment in a bubble in time back then, it does feel like it could be a bubble anytime. It could be a bubble right now, you know, going on I, right now. I, I will say, you know, and, and 
to, to add on to that, um, to go into a record store and see an original pressing of it on the wall, you know, in the way that I saw so many albums that I loved mm-hmm. in that record store up on the wall, you know, that's really a big deal for me, you know, regardless of how many copies it ended up selling or, you know, whatever we got out of it, you know, materially, you know, to see that is re- it really means a lot to me, you know, and for, for the fans to refer to it as a classic, you know, is all, that also means a lot to me, you know, and, because how many artists in their entire career have made great albums that that don't get deemed as being classics you know it's it's a big deal that i don't take lightly you know mm-hmm. and, and i think you know i'm let's see probably feels the same way but i i just feel like the amount of relationships also that I've created with other people, that we've created with other people over the years who you, you found out were fans of that record or you know maybe it inspired them to be an artist or maybe or uh, any kind of artist. You know, or, you know I've, I've met so many different people from so many walks of life that are like, you, you just have no idea how that record affected me. You know what I mean? And you don't really consider that when you're making the music, you know, and, and that's also something that only the benefit of time can create, you know? Yep. So I will say that that's probably, even though I don't really listen to it myself that much, that's probably at, if you ask me today, that's probably one of the most valuable things that I've gotten from that album and from that time period. Yeah. I, I just to piggyback on that, I would agree in the sense that like all of these creative children that I've made and put out over these years, that one definitely touched, you know, you, you raise your kid, you hope that it goes out there and has a good life, but you don't really see what it does after it leaves the house. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and that record, that record did some nice things for people when it left the house, you know. Yeah. And I mean, and it, and it continues to pay dividends. And I don't mean financially necessarily or materially, but, but it continues to pay dividends to this day. I mean, I, I, it's not lost on me for a moment that, like I said, I mean, there's very few artists in this world that can, can point to signature songs or signature albums or cla- or classics and, you, you know, and, and for us to have that, you know, um, it's a big deal, you know, it's definitely, definitely a big deal. And, and, you know, to, to be able to say that we made albums in a point in hip hop history where some of the best albums in hip hop history were being made, you know, that's a, that's a big deal too, you know, to, to have, made albums although we did it our way to have made albums in the golden era you know and have those albums be considered classics you know and songs that are considered classics and to be a part of so many different 
revolutionary things or what people would thankfully consider revolution, you know, the independent hip hop revolution, the independent, you know, the West Coast independent revolution, you know, um, just sort of be left of center with it, you know, still be able to, you know, have some mainstream success with it, you know, as an independent label or, you know, and as two guys who, you know, from the Bay Area, you know, to also occupy that space. Yes. You know, that's a big deal too for for me, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we have been greatly impacted by Latirics, but really all of y'all work. Um, and we just really appreciate both of you coming on the program. Lyrics Born, Latif, the true speaker. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, man. My pleasure. Thank you so Thank much, you. fellas. Appreciate Thanks, you guys. Bro. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon, but have the re- have a great rest of your night. And thanks again, man. We're, we're huge fans. And, you know, we don't want to take up too much more of your time, but just to pre- <laughs> we appreciate it. Thank you. And for every all you guys in the 408, I have two fucking words for you. Orange sauce. <laughs> 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 wow. Oh, all right, man. Thank you. <laughs> I did not expect wow. that. That was crazy. Closed it. Closed the show. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Dad bod rap pod. That was our interview with Latirix. Something that's been long in the making. Some behind the scenes uh, uh, perspective here is like it's something that we we were trying to land for this time last year. Mm-hmm. We we're very uh, fortunate to have them on, man. It was it was, you know, this show in a lot of ways has been the realization of things my 17, 18 year old self would have loved, and like this is just. Uh, another example of that correct nate very much so i was just having this conversation with one of my really really good friends um who occasionally listens to the show and who's kind of followed my progression through this stuff really closely and um it's like at that time i wouldn't have been good at it i don't know why (laughs) exactly mostly because i was irresponsible and drunk constantly but um i it's just it's like that uh that smith song like you just hadn't earned it yet baby like (laughs) at that time like i wanted this so bad but i couldn't have it and i think a lot about why that is and it's like i think i wouldn't have been a good interviewer and i'm still not but i wouldn't have been in a totally different way and like i think i would have wanted to like be cool with everybody rather than being like you know tomorrow i'm still gonna go to work like i'm humble now you know what i mean i don't know why exactly but i think you guys kind of get what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. i just i i don't know why but this was the right time in my life for us to do this and like it's very humbling to have people want to come on want to talk to us to like be down to engage with our kind of like unique three-man weave interview style and to kind of see that we're we're trying to do something here so yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly what the question was anymore. But yeah, I think uh, <laughs> it, it is in many ways wish fulfillment for my younger self. 
was it that would that go the same for you, Dave? Because you looked exactly as you did when you were. <laughs> so I, I wish, dude. Um, I'm very I'm at the heights of my paunchness right now. Um, <laughs> no, you know, it's it's very much like Nate said, wish fulfillment. I mean, I've I've been lucky with my journalism to be able to like speak to these cats and you know and and sort of revel in in my fandom with all with all these artists, but I mean. I, 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 in in so many ways, Latirix would be like our flagship um, mm -hmm. guest. You know what I mean? With, with our collective history as Bay Area cats, with our collective age. I mean, it's just so perfect. I mean, um, in sort of in the same way, Slug was just sort sort of like a perfect match sure. for us and our audience. But I mean, with with these cats, it's they they were definitely trying to be different, but they never like colored outside of the lines too much. And, mm. and even when even when talking to them now, it's just like these guys are a little bit older than us, I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. but they're, con they're normal dudes, they're, nor they're normal cats. Um, what I liked about it was like, when we, were, when we were in college, I felt like I was listening to these college students, these college yeah. artists who happened to be at fucking UC Davis, you know what I mean? And right. um, they, they had like sort of the same sort of bohemian vibe as like a high row or something, but Dell seemed like a fucking space alien to me, you know right. what I mean? But, right. Um, Asia born with like my cousin so it was very <laughs> relatable and um, you know again just all these years later to like reflect on their music have them here with us and just sort of talk to them as people as grown adults and reflect on this art that they've made that's just been so that's uh, just been so impactful to us um, again just so humbling uh, what a great experience and we're lucky to have we're lucky to have had many of those experiences over the 150 episodes. Damone? Man, man, haven't we been very fortunate over this run? Uh, a podcast that started as um, a drunken argument between Dave and myself uh, <laughs> has kind of blossomed into a, into, you know, a whole ass podcast. We've uh, picked up some good momentum. We still like doing it. We're, we're still friends outside of, of the Zoom. Uh, so I wanted to, you know, dig back a little bit, do a little self-reflection, retrospection, and get everybody's, what was your favorite moment during this first 150 episodes? I know that there's many. We'll save the lowlights for uh, Dad Bod <laughs> Confidential uh, coming out later. But let, let's talk about our, our, our favorite kind of DBRP moment, starting with you, uh, Nate. So we used to record in these uh, studios and it was in the very early episodes isn't maybe the 20s or 30s as far as episode count and logistically um, recording in the studio was quite difficult. We we're not small dudes and there's a bunch of us and it's a small <laughs> room. And so I don't remember why exactly like something was happening in the studio where we used to record but we got to kind of go record in the big room. And it, it's like, a, it's a real studio with like a leather couch. And I remember I had brought snacks that night because like we didn't really know like <laughs> right. to not do that. It's not good to be eating, especially I think it was like a, some like mixed nuts or something. It's like, you can't eat that and record a podcast at the same time. This is how <laughs> ignorant we were at the time, right? But we were going to talk to Easy Moby and Easy Moby is like literally one of my heroes and Dave's, you know, crazy digital Rolodex had brought us to this point where kind of before we were ready for it, we were going to do this big interview. And so we're sitting in a real studio on a leather couch with our little headphones on. And we're good. There was just a lot of buildup to this moment. And then he answers the phone and he goes, 
yo, David, mom, getting out of the shower. <laughs> and we're like, what the fuck? Like, you think OB is naked? Like, why is he talking to us? Just don't answer. And totally. fucking busted up. And like, still the interview, we called him back in 10 minutes. He, I think, had clothes on by that time. But like, for me, it was such a great, like, we, it, it built up, like, very cinematically to, like, we're doing this. This is a real podcast. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And then just, like, something comes and, like, pierces that little pretentious balloon that I carry around above my head like that all the time. And I just thought that was so funny. That's still one of the funniest things that's happened in my life <laughs> in recent memory. And it was just so weird and intimate with this person I really respected. And it's just something we'll have, like, between us that, like, that we were all there when that totally. happened. You know what I mean? It's just like mm-hmm. inside jokes for days off of that still. So anyway, that's my favorite <laughs> moment. There've been a lot of great interviews since then. And most of my best moments from the show are when we get to tap in with someone I never thought I'd get to talk to or ask a question I had for 20 years in the back of my mind or whatever. But, and right. you know, frankly, when we used to get to hang out, like just the, the Monday night meetup, like mm-hmm. work day is over. Let's have totally. a wine. Some wine yeah. yeah. We, sometimes we'd go in the, the back of the store or whatever and smoke. Like we was just like, that was really fun. Like that was my social life essentially. But you know, right. a, a lot of the cool moments are in that. But anyway, that was mine. All right, Dave. Um, you know, we've been fortunate to have so many cool moments and, uh, you know, I don't remember the exact number. This is probably episode like 70 or 60 or so, but um, this was around the time we, we were still able to get, I mean, we sort of off the bat, we were able to get cats like Easy Moby and so it's some legends, you know, and even though I'm like used to interviewing artists and this was around the time we'd have like Roxanne Chante and Micah Nine, but our, the, the interview that stands out most to me was, um, it's with these sort of proto legends and it's the last poets. Um, yeah. Uh, Abby Odun and Omar bin Hassan. Um, we're both just incredible and you know like I I always sort of think back at when I'm doing these interviews and putting together these stories and um, you ask a question you you know you put you put in your research you you want a good answer but sometimes when they're answering you just have to like check yourself and be like I can't believe this is happening with the response as well as just you're you're connecting with other minds for that second and we were connecting with the fucking last poets I mean I remember us looking up and just kind of with our jaws dropped, you know what I mean? And um, Umar bin Hassan's, oh no, I think it was um, Abby Odun's story about driving by the prison and stuff. I mean, I'm getting chills just bringing it up. So it's one of those moments where, I mean, we have moments that are fun and are standout and are hilarious, but that one, that moment gave me chills. And so mm. for that reason, that's, that's my standout moment. And I think anybody who hasn't heard the interview should go back and check it out. I think it's episode 69 or something. It I'm is sure. episode 69. Wow. I, often, I wow. often say with any other episode, we would have done like this jokey 69 thing, like the whole time. <laughs> <episode, laughs> no. with them. Dave, yeah, I don't know so- if you remember this, but like when that didn't like start out amazing when we first oh, yeah. called, uh, we didn't quite have the pronunciation down totally. yet for um, Mr. Ben Hassan's uh, mm-hmm. name yet. And he's like, yeah, this is me, and I'm sitting here waiting to talk to y'all. Like, let's go, let's do <laughs> this go. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was yeah. like, we, we, we've gotten better about that, and we have a better rhythm for it, and we have a, just a different way of interacting with people right, right. in the interview by then. But, like, I was scared. I was like, oh, <laughs> right. like this is, like, a legend, like, yeah, kind of punking totally. us right now, and we deserve it. Like, 
He's yeah, like, we were, yeah, let's we, go. <laughs> we were getting reprimanded by the last poets. You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? It certainly straightens your spine. You know what I mean? The last interview. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I mean, just some incredible moments. Um, so, so many to even like parse in my head, but that one's a certain standout. Um, what about you, Damon? Uh, for me, obviously, like y'all, there's just so many things we could choose from. Um, interview that kind of keeps circling around in my mind um, fairly recent was our conversation with uh, Sterling Tolls, mm. um, who I did, not, I did not know about him. I did not come into the interview knowing a whole lot about him, except that he was the producer for the, um, the collaborative project with Boldy James, Mandron McNichols, which I called Manadron McNichols, and which <laughs> I'll, never, I'll never live that down. Um, but talking to him, and getting his perspective on music. He said a couple of things yeah. during that interview that I as an artist and a person, a creator of content, whatever you want to call it, um, I just really took to heart. You know, right. he said the, the paradise is in the process. Mm. Um, and I just, I think about that. I've been working on some recent projects um, and kind of carrying that and he, he also said, I'm, I'm a culturalist and not a careerist. Yes, yes. And just, ah, it was just yeah, these like I mean, moments where I'm like, am I, I'm at a TED talk almost right now, mm-hmm. but this is, a, this is an interview, right? And um, he was super chill and humble. And, he, and I know you guys can't see it, but he had this really cool like Detroit basement yeah. studio, which you would think of a Detroit basement studio. Um, and it was just one of those moments where, um, me as, as a rapper, as an artist, a lot of times it's easy to feel like not successful. Mm-hmm. Rap has, has a very narrow definition of success. Um, and when you don't fit it, a lot of times people are like, you're, you don't do that thing you say you do because you're not successful. Um, talking to Sterling Tolls, number one, made me believe that um, there is something to applying your craft and sticking to it and doing it the way you want to do it. Um, and it's obviously paying off in spades for him, but he also didn't seem like he was trying to kind of revel in that moment of like, this was another project. I do projects. Right. Keep right. doing projects. We'll see. We asked him what his next record was and he was like, I don't know. Boldy wants right. to do another record. Right. I don't know. No, I, I loved it because it seemed like it was out of like the press run. You know what I mean? We were, mm-hmm. we were new to his music. And then after the interview, after, after the conversation, I felt like I knew him as a person, not just yeah. a fucking producer who just, who just put yeah. together this brilliant Boldy James album. So, I mean, yeah, to your point, um, that is a huge standout. And I think um, we've had some, some discussion about a possible Dadbot Rap Pod book. And I think in written form, his interview is gonna be a huge standout. Oh, it's, just, it's just filled with gems. Totally. Um, I tend to field most of our like DM and email kind of outreach with people. And like, um, I don't know, like I usually don't talk about it on the show cause it's private communication, but uh, Sterling's sister reached out to us after yeah. that episode, after yeah. she had just heard it. And that was a really special moment for us. Like, I think they, these really cool messages of like, thanks or hope or like, mm-hmm. wow, I really connected with you guys often yeah. come in these private forums and I'm quick to share them with you guys when we get them. It's just a mm-hmm. screenshot and like a, look at this cool thing that just happened. Like totally, that'll, that'll make your Tuesday afternoon a little better. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? 100%. 100%. Um, this is super nerdy, but I can't let the episode end without talking about this. I really wanted to ask Lyrics Born about this, so I'll just ask you guys if you remember it. 
and I'm, I may or may not be hallucinating this, but I'm pretty sure it's real. When SoulSides switched to Quantum, they relaunched their website with mm-hmm. the like Quantum's Greatest Bumps style mm-hmm. thing. Do you guys remember Lyrics Born had a advice column? <laughs> what? Had an advice column? Yeah, they o- I think they only did two or three different rounds of it, but I remember very distinctly in my like shitty wow. like Santa Cruz apartment with my old laptop that used to like hiss and wheeze and get like 300 <laughs> degrees hot on my lap reading this advice column that he did. That's hilarious. Like, the, first gr- the first question that they ever took happened to be from this girl named Asia. And he was like, oh, I'll answer your question, but what a great name and blah, 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 blah. Right. Like, I was just like, does anyone else remember this? Wow, that's so specific. It's so, yeah, specific, so specific, right? And so this is what I'm kind of trying to get at is like, we're the right people to do this thing, like <laughs> to make this show, this specific show, right? Because yeah. like, and it kind of ties into what I was talking about earlier, how at that time I wouldn't have known how to process any of this yet, but like, we lived this. Yeah. Like we, we lived mm-hmm. through like the golden age as children and the backpack era as like older teens and younger twenties, like people like the line between participant and artist in that time was so thin, but we yeah. were on the, you know, Dave and I, especially were on the fan side and Damone somewhat a participant. And now we've like had lives, gotten married, like mm-hmm. done things mm-hmm. in our lives, have like serious day jobs that like require a lot of us, but we have these like, reflections and like little mm-hmm. things only we noticed like totally totally in the little flutterings in the baseline little drone mm-hmm. fills little mm-hmm. lyrical moments that stuck with us and like i don't know i i think there's something special about that and i've come to realize i thought everybody noticed those things and it's right. not like that at all like right we we us three have noticed our specific things for these like you could call yep. it 30 40 years about like this whole history of music and we don't even get to talk about our non-rap stuff that much but right right about a lot of different things and so i just like am realizing now like it's so cool to have a venue to just be able to discuss it and many times to verify with the yes. artist mm-hmm. so anyway i just you guys don't remember that i may be alone here lb if you listen to the episode <laughs> text me <laughs> yeah the dear the dear asia column i would that's I would crazy love to freaking read that no i I, I hear you, Nate. I think we are the re- repository for this type of arcane information. I've often said that um, the only thing I really true truly know about is like rap music, and mm-hmm. having a venue to talk about it and dissect right. it and like share it with the audience. Because sometimes we'll say things and have these recollections and memories, and then other people will come in and kind of fill in and and share their stories as well. So being able to have this platform, thank God for podcasting. Uh, thank God for fake radio coming back in vogue. So yes, Nate, I share your, you know, gratefulness at having this space to kind of um, dissect, lovingly dissect, re-examine um, a lifetime of hip hop knowledge and experience. And also grateful to have um, an audience that's been steadily growing that kind of shares in that with us. Sometimes mm-hmm. we'll bring up something and uh, as Paulo said, maybe people are screaming at their uh, at their <laughs> devices because we got it wrong, and then they reach out to us, and and we kind of are able to piece together a fuller, brighter, more vibrant picture of what this genre is about 
through the vehicle of this show. So we get a lot out of it. We're, we're grateful if you do too and you continue to listen to us. Um, as we kind of inch out the door here, I just wanted to create some space for gratitude for each other. Um, and so how about this? I'm going to say something nice about Nate. Doesn't always happen on this program. I'm going to say something nice about Nate. Nate, you say something nice about Dave. Dave, you say something nice about me. How about you that? You got it. A chain, I, I, I will lie. A chain of gratitude. <laughs> <laughs> a chain of fools. Do what, do what you got to do. <laughs> Nate will make it work in post. Um, Nate, you have grown as a producer and also as an interviewer. And I really appreciate you have this really personable style to asking the questions um, that has evolved over the course of 150 shows. And as somebody who hosts things, panel discussions, like I've done all that type of stuff, um, I still picked up a lot from your approach to how you talk to guests and people that we bring on the show. So I want to thank you for that. Thanks, man. That means a lot to me. Um... Dave, it's you're my musical twin, and I've always <laughs> said that the show would be so boring if it was just the two of us sitting here agreeing with each other. But I have to say, um, I've also learned a lot from your interview style. You have a very distinctive interview style. It's like a tripartite <laughs> setup question <laughs> and lead-in kind of thing that I I know has like worked wonders for you as like one of the world's greatest hip-hop journalists and someone who is publishes in the best publications and who has like access to all of the people that we care about the show couldn't exist without you and I think um though uh, this is a little bit personal you and I need to find time to just be friends and not talk about this shit yes we've done a good job of that this week uh, <laughs> totally. because sometimes it just gets too too much business and not enough fun but there's no fun in the world right now but right. um couldn't imagine doing this without you and uh your your presence and your professionalism and your rigorous journalistic standards have really helped make the show what it is and um I just I appreciate you a lot as a as a guy and as a a friend and certainly as a creative collaborator like I, I just cannot imagine doing this without you so thank you very much oh man well that means a lot I mean that certainly means a lot I mean we our, our ideas are constantly bouncing back and forth like just volleying volleying back and forth and I really appreciate that and I know that I'm supposed to talk about Damone right now which I'll get to but your growth as a producer that's some real ass shit Nate you know Thanks, what I mean? Three months ago, that that tag did not exist on your resume, and now it does. And we have a full fucking, mm -hmm. full on functional, real ass podcast, dude. And you know we couldn't have done it without you, literally. Um, Damone, I mean, look, I mean this this whole show, the origin story of it is us having some drinks and and um, yelling at each other about um, MC Light, um, who I think <laughs> you overrate still, but. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I just, I, I love your professionalism. I mean, I'm a terrible public speaker, but I mean, uh, um, being at the table with you and Nate, um, I think hopefully has made me slightly better, but I think um, you, you in particular, the way you sort of guide the program, I can see you sort of grasping for transitions and jokes and all that. And all those are just getting sh sharper and sharper. A few weeks ago, you mentioned that like, you actually felt like you're getting better at talking. And um, I think you're fucking great, dude. Um, our, our little podcast led to a little panel discussion at the um, San Jose State Library with Peanut Butter Wolf. And that was like a great um, live event. The house was packed. And I really felt like 
I felt like people felt our, ener our energy and our chemistry. Like people came up to me afterwards and was like, you guys were great. And I'm like, wow, thanks, you know? So Damone, I mean, I just want to thank you for your constant professionalism. I mean, you steer the ship. I mean, when, when things sort of get tattered and, you know, unhinged, you, al you always bring it back in, in the most professional way. So thank you. Right on, right on. Appreciate y'all. Um, and shit, we appreciate you, the listener. If you, yep. you made it uh, this far with us, we hope that you can keep rocking with us. Uh, cop a mug. We got mugs, sensitive thugs. Y'all all need mugs. <laughs> uh, nice. Go out. Uh, check the check the uh, link in our Instagram bio, and you can uh, you can find out how to get um, a Dad Pod Rap Pod mug through Merch Engine. Shout out to Open Mike Eagle. Uh, mm -hmm. We recently joined the Stony Island Audio Podcast Network um, through his benevolence, and he's been a, a thought partner in, in helping us kind of get our footing here. Um, shout out to Pantheon Podcast Network, which we were on we were on for a little while, and we appreciate. Um, being part of that experience. Um, and just everybody who's made the show what it is, all of our contributors, the community of, of kind of pundits and writers that we, we move in now, we appreciate y'all, the energy is great. All of the other podcasts that I feel like have kind of come up parallel to us, um, we, we appreciate y'all and we've done a bunch of collaborations this year. So gratitude and thanks all around. We made it through the shittiest year on record. Uh, but we're hoping to move into a brighter, uh, happier 2021 where maybe we'll do podcasting in person again. We'll see. Uh, you can always connect with us at DadBodRapPod on Twitter, at DadBodRapPod on Instagram. And we do this uh, every Thursday, man. We're going to do 50 more Thursdays in 2021. We hope you keep rocking with us, DadBodRapPod. Oh, no.